Welcome to Coach's Corner with your host, Ryan Watson nope, and Jonathan Horton. I'm just letting you know I'm going to hate it. going to hate it? Yeah. All right, here we go now. Get behind that line. We're going to do it right. Do it right. Do it light. Let's go. Welcome to another special edition of the Coach's Corner on Broadway Sports at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Tonight, we got a chance to speak with Teron Davenport of ESPN. He was a fantastic person to talk to, really enjoyed our time, and really got to dig deep into the Titans. We talked about some of the favorite subjects around here, like the national media sleeping on the Titans, some of the offensive changes, defensive schematic changes, and how they're going to approach the the loss of Dean Pease. An absolute great episode. If you want to hear about a football guy talk, a football guy chat, this is your episode. Yep, like we said, had a great time. It's a a good one to listen to. Hope you all enjoy it. Make sure that you listen all the way to the end so you can get all the details of where to subscribe and where to rate everybody a five-star. All right, welcome to this edition of Coach's Corner. We have a great guest with us tonight, Teron Davenport of ESPN, of the Talking with TV podcast, Titans press conferences, and multiple radio appearances. Did we miss anything there? No, I think you pretty much covered it all. <laughs> You're a very busy man, so I listen to some of the podcasts. You do a lot of great work there. I love listening to you on the press conferences and reading the articles. And I was just talking to Jonathan before this, listening or reading your tweets. And when you get into um, talking with fans about stuff, it's, it's kind of nice to get your input on things because you're not just talking from a talking point perspective. Your opinions uh, seem to be your background in football and based on how you've come up in this business. And that's where I wanted to go from. That's what I enjoy reading about you. Yeah, I, that's that's something that I, I want to always make sure that, that I highlight because I think, the game of football is, is not as complex as a lot of people make it. And you could simplify it. And as my guy, Emory Hunt, a football game plan, always says, foot, where you want to make football make sense. And, and that's what, what my goal is to do in, in any work that I do. I'm going to say my tagline two weeks in a row from talking to people, and it's, it's keep it simple, stupid. I mean, that's that's was my, my yeah. when I was an offensive line coach. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it understandable. Let's keep it moving for sure. So I can, I love that. So you you played at uh, Chain at Cheney, correct? Yes, yeah, I played at Cheney University, which is a Division two school. I transferred from Delaware State University, okay. which was at that time a one double A or what you would now call FCS school. So I transferred there and, and played for Cheney, and you know was wide receiver the whole uh, the whole time, and, and definitely enjoyed my my college football experience. That's awesome. That answers my next question about what position would you play, and that's was going to lead me into because I coached. I was an offensive lineman. I but I coached receivers. Okay. It was, was my first full time coaching gig at the college I was at. So those are the two positions that I kind of on Sundays will watch. I'm a little annoying to watch a football game with because I will sit there and break down what happened on an offensive line play, and someone else is like, well, but the ball went over here. I was like, yeah, but the tackle missed his block over here, and it could have been a 20-yard gain instead of a four-yard, you know, that kind of stuff. So do you, when you're watching a game, I know you probably watch a lot more for your job and everything, but do you ever get caught up watching the receivers and and critique kind of live like that? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I get caught watching the receivers a lot. I love the DB position, too. So just seeing that interaction, receiver and DB, even when the ball is not going that direction, I like to see, you know, how the receiver works his release and see what he's testing to bring back and use later. And that's something that, you know, a lot of guys do during the game so that way they can see what release will work when they really have to get that certain position on a route. So that's 100% true. But I, I definitely watch the O-line. You know, my best friend 
he, he was actually the best man in my wedding. He's he was my center at, at college, you know. I'm a man, Lou Gutierrez from he was he's a Peruvian guy, man. We used to call him the Peruvian nightmare, you know. So <laughs> I always pay attention to the O line play. And I, I really I, I understand that that's where it all starts. Sure. If those guys up front don't do the job, I could run the best route and get open. But the quarterback's on the backside. And the quarterback, he won't have time to do Exactly. Exactly. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, so obviously, you know, you, you get more in depth when you're watching it from your playing experience. Do you think that's a an advantage or sometimes a disadvantage? Because a lot of times that you're writing for uh, people that may not watch football that way, they're watching, you know, watching the ball. So do you have to caution yourself sometimes from getting too in depth? You know, it's funny you say that because there are times where I'll submit an article and my editor and say, what. Well, you know, we want to reel you back in, Nick, you know what I mean? You didn't quite need to go into the detail of, of, of why this, this, and this happened. It, you didn't have to go that far into it. So I will say from that perspective, it could be considered a disadvantage. I don't consider it that way. Uh, my playing experience, I think, really helps me as far as when it comes to talking to the players and getting them to share some of the things that happen. Like, you guys have the uh, – um, the the tape with the Titans, which is yeah. a great a great uh, program that you have. I actually in in March or late late February March, I, I was on Justin and uh, the double Justin, you yeah, know, the Justin two Justin. I was on with them and they had asked me about talking with TD and how was I was going to do that without being in the locker room. And I, I told them what I wanted to do was do virtual uh, conversations with them and break the play down that way, you know. But like for me with with ESPN. We can't do video because of right. Well, really, the NFL has rights issues, but they tend to go after, like, you know, ESPN, right. the athletic, those types. Um, but, yeah, that program that you guys have is, is, is really good. That's something that, you know, fans, they, they like that, that talking with, with, with the Titans type thing. So excellent job there. But I, I think, you know, with my playing experience, it, it allows me to kind of get into some of the different things. Like, take, for instance, if you go back two years ago, the – Cowboys game, Monday Night Football, Kevin Byard had an interception there, and I, for the life of me, was like, wow. Zeke Elliott was stuffing the ball down their throat on that drive. They went play action from inside the, the, the five-yard line. Byard didn't bite on it and made an interception on the other side of the field. So I said, KB, how did you know that? And he told me there was actually in their tip sheet that MPs gave him. There was a, a, a slight tell by the, the right tackle. And if he was lined up in a stance a certain way, it was passed. And KB right. looked at that and knew. So those are the type of things that I like to get into and be able to unearth when talking to these guys. You, you could have put that in an article and published it in Dallas with uh, all the reputation that Jason Garrett had for being predictable. That would have uh, <laughs> done wonders. Really, though. <laughs> but it's those little things that I love to read about. I mean, I, I get what the editor is saying because there's the, probably the, the, the majority doesn't love maybe not that amount of detail, but I do. And that's why I, I love when you do get into those rabbit holes and listening to you and, and talk about those things. It's those little tricks. I tell people all the time that when you're watching a play, people just throw their hands up. It's like, well, that doesn't work. Quit doing it. I was like, yeah, but what you don't understand is it's just a small misstep that's making it not work. And if you can then get it to work, then you have your plays, you have your plan, you can still go to, uh, you know, yeah. obviously if you have a guy who's just going to consistently get beat the whole day, you might want to change some things up to give him some help, but you don't need to necessarily need to throw 
the baby out with the bathwater just because one little thing's not working because it could be something so small and it's not always evident. And that's why I love when I can find those coaches that can make those adjustments on the fly mm-hmm. really speak to me because I'm like, yeah, y'all are seeing so much of, of how this is just barely not working and we can just tweak it a little, maybe tell the, the fullback he's going to go here as opposed to the guard or what, whatever have you. And now you got something that's cooking. Yeah, 100%. Those coaches that make those adjustments. And that's the thing. If you look at this Titans team, their record when they're leading at halftime, I I forget exactly what the record was, but it was something along the lines of like 11 and 2 or something crazy lopsided in their favor. So definitely a testament to this Titans coaching staff. But I think you also have to look at how you have players that can supersede what's going on, right? You look at a Derrick Henry. He gets hit behind the line of scrimmage against the Ravens or at the line, runs through the tackle by Matt Judon and ends up scampering, what, 50-plus yards. Sure. Only get hauled down by uh, Marcus Peters. <laughs> we won't get into that. But, you, you know, when you have guys like that that could really overcome things that didn't go right. That's what makes your team exceptional. And that's why an A.J. Brown, a Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, these guys are really good players. Gotcha. And speaking of, I know that, that we're going to get in Titans here in just a second, but just one thing I wanted to bring up too, just speaking of your writing, it does on your LinkedIn, you do have a credit in a couple books and wrote a couple, couple books yourself, wrote Carson Wentz soaring with the Eagles, Doug Peterson, a team makes a miracle, those books. But what I was yeah. really interested in was one of your titles was what did football teach me? And that's, I think that a lot of people, fans, I always reflect back on myself. What did football teach me is not only a football football person, a football fan, but a football life person. Like, what, how did I carry this over into other aspects? So I, I just kind of wanted to ask real quick, without getting any spoilers, because so, I still want people to go out and buy the book, you know, a summary of what did it teach you uh, from, from your past? Yeah, well, I could give my story. There's still 99 others, including Steve <laughs> Smith, Mike Singletary, John Harbaugh, and a bunch of other folks. So, it's okay. I won't give any teasers. But, you know, when you look at what football taught me, it's it's a lot of things. One of the, the things that I'm actually living now is the ability to reinvent yourself. I wanted to play pro ball. After I was done school, I worked out, you know, with, with a couple Canadian League teams, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Hamilton Tiger Cats. I went and worked out with New Jersey Gladiators of the Arena League, uh, the New York Dragons of the Arena League. It just didn't work. I wasn't going to be able to get paid to play football, but I knew for sure that I wanted to continue to be involved with the game. So I figured out ways to still be able to do that, and now here we are. So I I think when you look at just that experience, it really taught me to reinvent myself. And that goes for someone who, you know, let's, let's say you want to do something and that opportunity doesn't present itself, you find other ways to still get involved. So that's one of the things. I always like to look at the Inky Johnson story. You know, that's something that means a lot to me because he he's someone who, you know, every morning I'm listening to something from him. And uh, there's just different ways, like, you learn through football, like, character. It, it toughens you. It, it teaches you how to be a leader, you know, those type of things. So the game is awesome. And, uh, you know, along with what the football teach me, we have football love story, which is, a part of the the two book series. So definitely check that out. I love that you bring up Inky Johnson there because I always love to, to hear those stories and listen to him talk because here's a guy who could have just said, I'm, I'm done being positive. I, I'm done with anything related to football because of what it took from me, what an accident, a freak of a freak accident took away from me, but that the, he's out there yeah. motivating and speaking and, and approaching not just football, but life and teaching these kids that, Hey, yeah. 
This isn't all you have to look forward to. If you keep them of your right mind and, and get your affairs in order, you're going to have a good life. And here's how to go about that. Here's how I go about my life. And look, I've got more excuse than, than any of y'all to do this. And I'm still here. I'm still talking to y'all. And I love those kind of stories. Yeah, for sure. And when he was laying on, on that bed, you know, he, he, he didn't say why me throughout the whole process. He didn't say why me. It was why not me. Right. And I, I think that's really the, the thing for people to look at when you're going through whatever circumstance, don't say, why me say, why not me? And just figure out a way that you could take that and convert it into something positive. Cause we all go through stuff, but it's really just a matter of, of how you bounce back. Right. And not even bounce back, bounce forward. That's really what it's about. Sure thing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of something that you kind of talked about there. And we, we're not coaching anymore. We both came from that background and, but we managed to translate those skills that you learn from football or you learn from coaching those things that you can take with you. I think that's where some people may struggle with, Hey, they separate them. But I imagine the same, some of the same things that drove you on the football field are the things that have driven you to be successful in your new career. So that's kind of a compliment to you as much as anything. Thank you. So Thank you. yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you know, that, you mentioned the competitive side of it, man. You know, it's funny because I, I get I get mad if there's another writer in our NFL nation that gets more reads than I do, you know, or even just something as simple as walking downtown. I, I hate when someone uh, walks like walks faster than me, walks faster. <laughs> it's just you just get that competitive thing within you, and it's it's crazy. You you can never like get rid of it for me it's i won't let my kid beat me at mario kart just yet i just can't i can't stand it <laughs> she's beat me a couple times i'm like man i gotta step it up <laughs> yeah all right so for I, sure i have to ask so you covered the eagles and we got two eagles books so now you've been on on the titans a couple years so do we have any titans books on the way maybe a derrick henry the art of a stiff arm man i i would love to do that i had some things in the works uh, as far not book wise but some uh, features with Derrick Henry that, that we were working on, but this pandemic kind of threw it out of whack. I, I was really, I, I tell you honestly, that playoff run, right? Well, when they were up 10 nothing, yeah, I said, you know what? I might have to get in touch with Triumph Books and we might have to do, do something, you know, because I think this team would mess around and go to the Super Bowl and win it. So I, it, it was something I considered for sure. Yeah. There was definitely that thought process. Cause I know we were, we were watching some of those games together. And I think at one point in time, we just looked at each other and started screaming. Like, I can't believe this is going on. This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. We were just like, Oh my gosh, look yeah. at what Henry's doing. Yeah, the way that Titans yeah. team the way that Titans team was playing and then compared to the way the Eagles kinda got hot when they did, maybe you were the lucky charm had they exactly. ended up winning that. So you become quite the hot commodity to bring into some uh, markets. <laughs> so you mentioned Yeah, that- I was I was hoping that that was the case, man. <laughs> but you know, I can't hey. take credit. What's all, there's always there's always this year. So uh, you mentioned the pandemic there. Of course, we're all kind of dealing with that, and we're watching baseball go through their stuff. I noticed on your timeline that you're a Mets fan. Is that is that true? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, go Cubs. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since 1983, man, I've been a Mets fan. So you know, been through the ups and downs. You know, the ups of that '86 team with with Strawberry and Doc and. Howard Johnson, who actually was a hitting coach for the Nashville Sound. Funny story, my first camp over there at St. Thomas Sports Park, I'm standing there, and I just happened to have my Mets colors, uh, Nike Hirachis. I had Navy uh, pants or Navy shorts on and, a, and an orange polo with the blue, blue uh, horse on it. So I was Mets colored down, right? And I'm sitting there, and I look to my left. I double, I did 
double take it was Howard Johnson. I literally said, I was like, hold you Yo, man. <laughs> and I put my arm around him. Like, yo, I'm the best fan of anything. Like the fan in me right. really came out. But I, yeah, I've always loved the Mets. So that's those are the cards that I collected back in the eighties and the in the nineties. Those names ring to me because I was trying to collect as many Daryl Strawberry cards as I could with my friends. Like I had guys I wanted to target when I was doing those little those trades over at friends' houses. I was like, yeah, give me all the Daryl Strawberries. Yeah. Give me that. We'll throw that Howard Johnson in. Yes, yeah, so those are those are names that speak to me because that's that's when I was my prime collecting. Um, so did you I, ever? I strawberry ones, yeah. I think I, I had more Ryan Sandberg because that was my that was my dude, okay. uh, but I think okay. I ended up I think I ended up getting close to thirty five strawberries across my my collection across the lines. So I had two hundred and fifty two. Yeah, see, I, I don't. I I'll, that's fine because I guarantee you I had more Sandbergs than a lot of people out there. I had I had close to two hundred and forty Sandbergs. I think they're still in a box back there that my wife makes me hide in the closet. So. <laughs> so, did yeah, you ever? I was in love with Dallas Strawberry. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was fun to watch. There was some that we were talking to uh, Jason Spray last week, and we brought up Bo Jackson. So uh, we may just turn this into a baseball themed uh, podcast at some point. But uh, Coach Spray was all that man. Yeah, he got He's great. I love talking to him, and we'll we'll try to have yeah. him on because we got into some college stories. But anyway, he he was good to have on too. Um, did you ever imagine as a kid like what your walk up music would be, or at, at even now what you would go through? <laughs> Oh, yeah, all the time, man. I used to imagine all that stuff. Man. I, I used to, it's funny, like, I used to put a, a, a Mets cap on and look in the mirror and, and give a speech when I got drafted. You know what I mean? I did all that stuff, man. It, it definitely, I dreamed all that, man. My my walk-up music was always, uh, I Ain't No Joke by uh, Eric B. and Rakim. <laughs> That sent a message from the get go for yep. sure. So, that's right. Not to get more serious, but the the baseball is going through a bit of a of tough time here with the Marlins uh, getting you know, being affected by COVID and spreading like wildfire through their clubhouse, shutting down the Phillies, you know, and then of course it's it's canceling games of the next uh, next teams they were going to play for. What do you to bring this back to football? What do you hope the NFL can learn from watching the differences between how Major League Baseball and say NBA? is handling their bubble situations and handling this from like, what would you hope that the NFL can carry over to have a successful season? I really would hope what they could carry over is how to have some type of plan in action. If there's a breakup and obviously this is an ongoing, like it's always evolving, but I would think you have to have something in order to, to address something like this, that it, it should happen. And it, it just, I don't want to say Major League Baseball doesn't have that, but it just seems like things have just snowballed. So I, really what I would like them to learn is how can we stop it from snowballing to the point where Commissioner Manfred says, if it gets any worse, we're going to have to cancel the season. Right. And we're not even a month in. You know, right. end of the day, safety is always first. People's health is, is, is important than you know, watching the game, even though watching the game is good for people, so because it gives you that 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 you know escape. But yeah, that's what I want them to, to make sure that they learn just how to have a plan in place. So, do you feel like the NFL has a better plan? I, I, it's hard to be as bad as baseball has been with their planning and how they've gone about this. But uh, <laughs> do, do you feel comfortable that the NFL has a good strategy for how to handle this? I, yes and no. Because, what, two weeks ago, we weren't even sure what the situation was going to be as far as the protocols for going into training camp. So I, I do hope that the NFL and, and believe that, that they kind of 
iron things out at the 11th hour, so to speak. But I, I don't know that I'm 100% confident that they have something in place because it's just how could you so quickly have that, that set up? Positive thinking here. We're going to have a season. Moving on to the Titans, the, the, the 2020 Tennessee Titans, and what they're bringing back, what they're going to look like, just to get into a few points here, starting with the offense. I know that a lot of the reasons why we wanted to start uh, this this avenue we've gone down with Broadway Sports was because as far as, like, outside of yourself, obviously you're reporting on the Titans, but it seems like there's a lot of national media that, that wants to sleep on the Titans through many things. We'll get into why we think with individual players here in just a minute uh, of the disrespect that's out there for some guys. But do you think that – Looking from the internal process, your, is your opinion that they felt like they kept their important pieces going and they could have enough to make another Super Bowl run without adding anything? Was that the attitude, or do you think that they could have added one or two more pieces? Yeah, I, I think from their, their perspective, they did what they needed to do. And first things first, Ryan Tannehill was quarterback for this offense, and I don't think there's no getting around that. He was the guy, and you saw everything just really start going once he got under center. Now, granted, you still had the occasional 100-yard game from Derrick Henry, but once that offense found balance, right, they went from the only thing they could do is run the ball to being balanced, and then that's when Derrick Henry really took off. So I think you look at bringing those guys back, that absolutely had to happen. Now, could they have added a fourth receiver? Like maybe, hey, trade for a Marquise Goodwin. You know what I mean? That's something that they might have been able to do, but – Let's face the facts. As the guys broke down, as the Justins broke down on the talking with the Titan, Khalif Raymond is a route genius, and he developed into a deep threat. So I think that answer has kind of been – that question has been answered. On the defense, I think they probably could have done a better job of addressing the pass rush. That's not saying that now that the whole question mark with Vic Beasley has – has come about. I, I think they could have done a better job, whether it's Everson Griffin, whether it's, you know, uh, obviously Jadavian Clowney. I think they could have addressed that, especially when you lose a guy like uh, uh, Jerrell Casey. I think in the secondary, the secondary solid. You hate to see Logan Ryan go, right? But, I mean, you took that guy out who was your, your nickel, just point blank. That's your guy. And now you have kind of a Baskin Robbins at the nickel spot where, you know, you have a little self for everybody. Team wants to use that flex tight end, Monty Hooker. We're going big nickel, that's your cat, right? They want to go speed. Hey, Christian Fulton, I know you're, you're wet behind the ears, but that's your guy, right? And the same thing with the door, so they can mix it up. So I, I think overall they did a solid job. They definitely are, are confident in what they did. I just would like to have seen them address the pass rush a little bit better. Yeah, and we'll come back to the offense. I want to stay there with the defense and kind of what you talked about there. You touched on, you know, obviously Vic Beasley and the questions that are there, um, and then they're obviously tied to Clowney. Uh, I won't I won't get too deep into that. I think every reporter in the Nashville market has asked about 15 questions on that. And one. the eye rolls to go with them yeah. from, from people right. that are asked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've got, we've got a solid gif out there. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm interested. Do you think that they view, and by they I guess I mean Vrabel, maybe Shane Bowen at this point, 
that they can manufacture pressure. I mean, Dean Pease was probably, if not the best, one of the best of coming up with those manufactured pressure plays. So for our listeners, that's stu- it's not just line up and play kind of thing, not just go beat your guy. You're, you're playing some mind games with them. But um, do you think they rely on that maybe a little too much? Is that why they decided not to pressure it the same way that they, they would with other positions? That's a really good question. I think that is something that they rely on. I think last year was – out of necessity and also at the same time they had two really good guys in the secondary when it comes to blitzing let's not forget logan ryan had four and a half sacks last year you know what i mean and he was a guy that if you look at that breakdown uh, of the ravens game defensively logan ryan was the one i actually drew that up on the board as, as a preview of that game and it ended up Literally being the, the same game plan. DMP told me that what I drew up was the plan that they used. You that's know? a good feeling. And I'm not saying they used my plan. It was the yeah, same yeah. plan. Like that's, right. that's what they wanted to execute. I wouldn't dare say they took my idea. No. But at, at the same time, you, you know, Logan is gone. So now, yeah, you want to be able to, to scheme up pressure. But how much better is it to have that guy where you can just say, you know what, third and 15, I need you to pin your ears back. You know what you got to do. Go get me, go get me a pressure. Go force a turnover. Bring the quarterback down. Something. And I, I don't know for sure that they have that guy. And, and and that's the problem. But I did ask Shane Bowen today, well, we talked about uh Vic Beasley. because if you go back and watch Beasley, especially those last six games with the Falcons, they were looping them inside. They had the T stunts, and man, that dude was wrecking wrecking shot with those. So I asked Coach Bowen if that was something that they're going to incorporate. And he, without saying yes, he said yes. If you see a guy do something really well, you're going to incorporate that and, and use that. And they did a lot of tease stunts, you know, with Jarrell Casey and, and, you know, Jeffrey Simmons or even Daquan, whoever they had in the middle. So that's something I think they'll continue to do. But it, it's almost – I personally say you need that guy that you could just – Tell him to go get the quarterback. You need at least one guy that I don't care what is going on. He's going to go get him. And unfortunately, right now, they don't have that. Now, can Harold Landry become that? Oh, most definitely. Can Vic Beasley, a motivated Vic Beasley, become that? I, I believe so. Yeah. So it, it's, we'll see how it works. Yeah, the Vic Beasley, you saw those. Like, I'm glad you brought up those last six games because I see a lot of people go out there would say that, well, why'd they bring him in? Why are they on sync? Well, did you, if you watched anything that he's doing recently, there's enough positive energy that maybe this is the definition of a change of scenery guy. Unless we're not that far removed from a 15 and a half sack season. And he had eight sacks last year, which I think would have ranked second on the Titans. I believe, or one of the sack leaders of the Titans. So, I mean, you're adding something to your defense at that point if you can get similar production from him. And I thought that maybe, as you're saying, they can find ways to to utilize his skills or what he showed to do well those last six games. Then you've got something. You mentioned, and this is my opinion, and this is my opinion of the D-line. They're solid, and you mentioned looping with Casey, and they're obviously losing that. A great leadership, a great veteran. But i got to tell you, I really loved what I saw out of Jeff, Jeffrey Simmons and, and what he showed yes. that half, half season coming off the injury that he did coming back. I wasn't expecting him at all last season. And then when I see him lining up, I'm like, whatever is positive. And then you see the spurts of just the manhandling of Quentin Nelson or, or these other offensive linemen that are NFL monsters. And he's a monster himself. So you got to think that's that's something that's going to benefit a full season out of Jeffrey Simmons too. Yeah, and the thing that's really good with Simmons, because he, he said that last year he played a little bit heavier than normal. He got that weight down, but he still has the strength. Sure. And if you see him in some of the, the – 
Like the dude is is becoming someone who's like just put together, you know what I mean, and, and very well built. Not what you would expect from somebody, you know, that big, that that size. So that's a good thing. He said he's working on his uh, complementing his, his bull rush, which, as you mentioned, against Quentin Nelson was ridiculous. You even last year seen him line up at, at the five technique. I, I mean, he's a guy. They they move him around, and I think he's going to get to move around more. So he'll definitely be someone. And it's just they're going to use a lot of tiered pass rush. Well, you have Simmons collapsing the interior, and you know making it so the quarterback can't step up. But then you have a guy like Beasley, who this is exactly what he did in Atlanta, where he was, it was all tear. You had him and Tack McKinley coming on the outside and then Grady Jarrett pushing the pocket from the inside. And it was just kind of like, kind of like hunting where you, you have one person flush the quarterback to another person. That's how they got their pressures. I could see the Titans doing that. We talked about pressure a little bit and how they attack that. I, I always find football is fascinating because it's such a game of matchups that, you know, I don't necessarily think that you would say that the Titans are an overall better team than the Ravens, but they're a perfect matchup because you mentioned Logan Ryan. They're big up front. They have linebackers that are not afraid to come downhill in a Rashawn Evans that uh, he's kind of a dying breed in today's NFL. They're, we're getting smaller, getting faster. Um, but then yeah. you go against the the Chiefs, who look like they're going to be around for a while as well, and it's kind of a polar opposite matchup in how you attack that. So when I look at them drafting Christian Fulton and not bringing back a Logan Ryan, that to me tells me, hey, yeah, we match up great with the Ravens, but matchup-wise, we need more speed to attack the Chiefs, who look like they're going to be the, the new budding dynasty out there. Do you think that's kind of correct, or it's always a fascinating thing for me? Yeah, that's not kind of correct. That's spot on. It's Look, the Chiefs won it. The Chiefs kept them from going to the Super Bowl. So just like the Ravens added Clayus Campbell because they didn't want to get trampled on by Derrick Henry anymore, <laughs> that's what the, the Titans are doing, right? They're bringing on a guy who they feel can can be a better option for them covering the vertical routes out, out of that slot position. That's an excellent point. Yeah, and we're talking about speed on defense. The one thing that I have I have loved watching, and 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 I don't get where some of the hate comes for Dory Jackson sometimes, but I have really watched him improve as a corner. And you watch him on certain plays, and people want to just highlight the one he missed, and they don't want to talk about the twenty plays he made because because yeah. yeah, he's not getting the interceptions possibly or in the big flashy plays, but he's breaking up passes that I don't think any other any other well. A lot of other players wouldn't get to there, wouldn't get to that spot. I hear all these rumors about him getting back involved with the the, the return game, and not that I don't think he'd be electric, because that's one thing I look forward to. But I really have, and one thing we said when we, we looked at him as a draft prospect coming out of USC, and we thought this is an athlete, he's raw in cover skills, he relies on his athlete side a little too much. But if he can ever get down and buckle down to that corner, he's going to be elite. And I see that progression happening with him. Your take on, do you want to see him utilize his athletic ability in the return game or keep focusing on being a corner? Keep focusing on being a corner. And here's the thing. Sometimes something will happen on the field. You, you just don't. You, you don't return to, to where you were. And it, it goes back to, I want to say, 2000. I, I think it was 18. Yeah, it was 18 at Jacksonville. Week two, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. He was fielding a punt. And James O'Shaughnessy, and he got examined for a concussion, and and I don't believe he was diagnosed with one, but that hit affected him. Sure. And you, you just saw – you didn't see that same aggressive, like, 
going to the ball. There were times where, you know, a little bit of indecisiveness. So I I personally think Adore Jackson needs to focus on corner. And you mentioned some of the good plays. Go back to week 10, that Chiefs game. He turned out, granted, Tyreek Hill did beat him deep. But he turned around step for step with him on another play and and deflected the pass. And that's what you need, someone. Not many people on this planet that could do that, you know, against a Tyreek Hill. But a Dory Jackson is one of them. So I think the in in the the DB room, you got a lot of guys that the Titans obviously value tackling ability from their from their corners and safeties. Like, hey, we'll give up a play, but we're going to come up. It we're going to make you drive the entire field. Don't give up those big plays and yards after the catch. Um, I'm interested how they're going to replace. In in your opinion, who's going to move into that nickel role? Is it going to be a Christian Fulton? Sometimes with those young guys, you want to give them one position. Worry about that. Uh, so do you move a Malcolm Butler inside who plays physical? Or a Dory's a willing guy, but at some point he, physics went out. Physics He's also went. a smaller guy. So just curious your thought on that. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be an assortment uh, of guys. It goes back to that Baskin-Robbins analogy I made earlier where, you know, when, when it's a speed guy, I think it's going to be a mix. Initially a Dory Jackson, but eventually Christian Fulton will be mixed in there. If it's a bigger guy, you do want someone like Malcolm Butler, you know, uh, be able to, to slow him up at the line of scrimmage. Week one, they got the Broncos, Cortland Sutton, and someone they move around. I would be opposed to uh, putting Malcolm Butler in the slot to to, to cover uh, Sutton. I think that's a good idea. But then at the same time, it goes back to what we said with, with the, the tight end. So you got Hooker, and people are sleeping on a Dan Crookshank, especially when they go dime, right? Crookshank, you look at his Arizona tape, the dude was a dime linebacker a lot. You know, so he is no stranger to playing in the box, being physical there. But also, you look at the Ravens game when they went to some dime packages. He had a very significant pass breakup in the red zone uh, on a pass that was intended to Mark Andrews. So I think I say all that to say you're going to see probably four or five guys. They still have Jonathan Joseph, too, who he may not be that 4-3-1 guy, but he's a savvy veteran, so he could be able to make up for whatever lost steps he has. So. I expect to see up to five guys in that nickel. Yeah, and that's I want to tell like I wish I could reach through Twitter sometimes and and and, and grab people by the shirt collar and be like, do you not understand how talented this DB room is? Y'all want to complain about little yeah. things here, but think about the level of of play that the backups possess now compared to just five years ago when you didn't have this, and this is a good problem to have. And then, in my opinion, and and the next thing I want to get into is you've got Kevin Byard who is. To me, a top safety in the NFL. Criminally, he didn't make a hundred top one hundred list. Top safety, he's top safety exactly. I I see people want to say that Minka Fitzpatrick's better than him, and I look or or Derwin James, and I look at stats and like if you if you're stat guy, how? If you watch football, how? And just it's nice to know that he is on the Titans. He's back there. He's a do it all safety. He's across the board, like you said, best in the NFL. Is how criminal is it that people are undervaluing his play? It's it's a part of what happens with this Titans team. It's, it's unfortunate, you know, but the team overall, they're just they're they're underfired, you know, to not be in the top 100 is stupid. But then even when you have a conversation about top five safeties, if you don't include him and Justin Simmons of the Broncos, I got to tip my cap to Simmons. If you don't include those two guys, I don't think you're you're, you're doing it right. So I want to pivot back to the offense a little bit, and I'm curious your thoughts. They 
we talked about additions they could have made. They didn't really – you have a couple speed guys in Khalif Raymond and Cameron Batson, who, the forgotten about guy from uh, from injury yeah. last year. But they didn't go add – you talked about trading for a Marquise Goodwin. You know, the way that they're built, they, they got a bunch of uh, tanks with Jonu, with uh, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Derek Henry. These are big guys they are going to break tackles. Uh, obviously, AJ Brown can take a pass, you know, the distance, but he generally does it by being built like a running back. So, do you feel like that's something that they could have really um, added to this offense? Because I think, you know, you get those safeties to back up a little bit. You know, it makes the, those um, those slant routes a whole lot easier. Give the AJ Brown an extra yard to do work with, kind of thing. That was probably my biggest thing for me. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. You want to have that vertical threat to open up that mid-range passing game and just create more spacing. And I feel like the deep routes that they connected with Cleve Raymond, I, I think that will kind of create that caution. But, man, when you have a guy like a Deshaun Jackson, you know, when you have a Tyreek Hill where the first thing the coordinator says that week is, look, man, I don't care what we do. Number 10 is not beating us deep. I think when you have that and you have safeties play deep as of the deep and bailing out at this snap, that opens things up. So you are right there. I do know that the Titans were very, very interested in KJ Hamler. And in talking to him uh, before the draft, I I knew that. And then in talking to some of the the personnel guys, I know. I mean, look at John Robinson. He went to a a, a plethora of Penn State games, and and it wasn't just to to see gross mottos. It was to see KJ Hamler, in my opinion. But I, I just, for whatever reason, they weren't able to, to make that happen. Um, I, I think they really could have improved their roster in that perspective by adding a speed guy. But it, it just goes back to a bigger opportunity for Khalid Raymond to further show what he's capable of doing. So tip of a cap to my co-host there because I think he, he echoed you right after the draft because I said, what are your thoughts on the draft? And he said, I wish they'd have found a speed piece somewhere that, that, that could have been that first-tier thought process for a defensive coordinator like you just said. He said, but then he followed up with saying, uh, Raymond could get there, so we'll see what they can do with the develop. And, you know, so tip of the cap to Jonathan there because he said that right after. It's nice to hear you echo that as well and, and agree, but – I look at Art Smith just to kind of the coach of all this, just to get – we'll go back to the players second, but I really enjoyed watching his progression throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, really, and you said it earlier when you said Tannehill. We won't spend any more time on Tannehill because you said it exactly how it is. He – bringing him in was the difference and, and made this go. But I really think that Art Smith was able to play off not just Tannehill's strengths, but play off a lot of other players' strengths and seems to call – I always said he called the right play at the right moment, had that knack for a big-time play call. And you go back and listen to how he used to de- develop, I think it was the the red zone plays or the third and long. He had he had a, uh, even before he was a coordinator, a voice of stability on that offense as far as big plays. And I love seeing that carry over. What are your expe- expectations for him coming into year two and the consistency that carries over for, for Art Smith? Yeah, one of the other things I really like about Coach Smith is, is the creativity, you know, Doing, doing, uh, having John Smith in, in the backfield taking a handoff and you go 50, 50 yards, right? Having A.J. Brown take a counter, and that goes for a 57-yard touchdown. So that definitely happened, and it was a good thing. I, I like the relationship that Arthur Smith has with the offensive line. And, yeah, we, we point to Tannehill, and we point to Derrick Henry, but, you know, Taylor Lewan coming back and getting that, that penalty situation under control, 
and he and Roger Saffold becoming the stepbrothers like they wanted to be, right? And the other side of that offensive line, including Ben Jones, just holding everything together. I think that was a big part of that offense getting better too. And that's something you have to mention. And I, I just, it goes back to the, the connection that he has with that offensive line and trusting them to, to continue running the football when they're down nine points, right? And working that outside zone and those inside zone and those things, it, it definitely is something that we could expect to see even more. The play action also. So I think we look at Arthur Smith, you just got to expect more of that ground and pound, but they're going to also go for explosiveness. You hear him talk about Darrington Evans, right? And, and you saw what he did. You know, he has some 70 plus yard house calls at App State, who, by the way, ran a similar, a lot of the Titans concepts as far as the zone, outside zone, he already executed. So that's something else to consider. And one of the things, not this past time, but I want to say the time before. So I, I want to say June. When we talked to Arthur Smith, he talked about developing more explosiveness and really accenting the guys that bring that explosiveness to the table. That tells me more Derrick Henry, screen game. That tells me more A.J. Brown on that play-action slant route, and I think they're going to go downfield to uh, Khalif Raymond. So expect those things. Yeah, one thing you mentioned there is uh, the creativity and giving non-traditional players the ball in uh, non-traditional ways. And that really, I, I loved whenever I was coaching because, and you can talk about it a little bit, pull from your, your playing history, how excited that gets, not just the player who's getting it, but the entire team, whether it's a, if it's a tackle catching a touchdown, but I mean, cause you practice those plays sometimes, but then most coaches ain't actually running it. They're like, we'll have it in there, but we're not going to do anything with it. When you put Johnu in the backfield, that entire team gets energized. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's, it's funny because like as a receiver, well, when you know that play call, like I remember from college, we used to have a play. It was Gatorade, Blue Jaw, five semi, A, eight, right? And, and and so what was happening is it's the Gator formation, three receivers on the right or which, whichever side, and two on the opposite side. I would line up as the fur, furthest inside receiver, right? And I'm running that bang eight, and it was perfect because you usually, as that inside receiver, you get that that safety or a linebacker matched up against you, you know. So that's an opportunity to just violate somebody. And so you line up and you're so excited about it, you got to make sure, hey, man, I got to stay on sides, you know. Right. So hey, that's something that is great you mentioned that, the excitement that it develops for a player. You get really hyped up because, you know, you're about to, you know, make somebody look bad. And that's, that's just it's, it's what you live for. Yep. At least on the football field. I know our offensive linemen. We were always trying to talk our, our offensive coordinator when I was playing. We we ran a we ran a counter. We we talked the starting quarterback into one time during one of the last walkthroughs to hand the ball off to the pulling guard, and then I wrapped around him like the pitch relationship, and everything was legal. We checked and we tried to talk uh, the coach into, it, and they're like, "We're not doing that." So <laughs> maybe stay away from those trick plays. But we were getting excited about it. But I can definitely see that excitement. Um, yeah, it, sure. Bringing it back to something you said there when you said um, – one thing I loved when, when you said Taylor Juan reigning in the penalties and his play just took off from there. The the relationship with – that's important for an offensive lineman is the relationship and chemistry you can build. But one thing I caught early in the season was watching a rookie wide receiver get into big returning starter Taylor Juan's face after a, a – 
penalty and then watching Taylor go, yeah, you're right, you're right. The respect between the two and listening to them recently on the Busting with the Boys podcast and listening to AJ say, I'm, I'm going to be the best receiver. Not I don't not I want to be. I'm going to be the best receiver in the league in three years. And listening to LaJuan talk about how he, he was able to listen to the rookie talk to him and the leadership that A.J. Brown. And I don't want to say the, the overconfidence because I love the confidence level he has. And I got to feel I got to feel good about that receiver room, too, based on watching A.J. after one year and all those stories. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me about A.J. Brown was the immediate impact. And I, I remember watching that Browns game, and I'm like, how is – what? 100 yards receiving. I, I, I never would have called that at all because this is a guy that was very limited in, in, in minicamp, limited in training camp, but he went out there and did his thing. And I think that just says a lot about A.J. Brown himself. And Titans fans should be very, very happy with that receiving core. And I, I just want to see him this year. You know, when you're going against the Jair Alexanders and Trey Whites, those guys, I, I want to see – how he's going to handle that challenge, and I, I personally feel he's going to handle it well. As we as we kind of wind down here, we are the coach's corner, so I got to ask you about the coach. So Vrabel, we we talk about yeah. how uh, they didn't hire a defensive coordinator, and there's two ways of viewing that: that he wants to be the defensive guy, obviously, but at the same time, I also think that is showing confidence in Art Smith specifically. And knowing he doesn't have to be as involved in the offense, offensive game plan. So, do you think that that's correct? And and how do you expect that to kind of play out? Yeah, I think that's accurate. But Coach Rabel is one hundred percent still going to be on that offensive side of the room. He just he loves it, right? And this is a guy who caught you know more touchdown passes in the Super Bowl than a lot of receivers. You, you know what I mean? So he's always going to want to be involved involved, excuse me, with, with the uh, offense. And if you watch him at a practice, I, I remember times where I literally saw this guy go to the O-line, offer them a jewel, go to the receivers, drop a jewel over there, then go to the linebackers, and then go to the DBs and then come back to the running backs and and, and work on Derrick Henry stiff-arming at the helmet on, on a stick. So it's just he loves football, so he's going to be involved. Uh, in all aspects, but I, I do think when you look at um, him not bringing on a, a defensive coordinator, one thing that is just completely floating under the radar is the acquisition of Jim Haslam. That's another coach that has been in football for a long time. Not like Dean Pease, who's been in longer than I've been alive, but it's still <laughs> been a long time. You know what I'm saying? So that's somebody that, that in the on the sideline, like on game day, there's a relay. In, in that headset, you know what I mean? And, and you're going to have that. And, and I think with Shane Bowen, as he said on, on Zoom today, you know, being an extension of Mike Vrabel, having spent so much time with him and actually working on the same focus as far as that outside linebacker position, I think that's something else that's going to help them. And really it, it comes down to you know, having those players, right? Having Rashawn Evans, having especially a Kevin Byard who is going to echo and, and be that, that coach, so to speak, whereas that message that the Vrabel has is going to be relayed through a guy like a Kevin Byron, through a Rashawn Evans, who I think is going to emerge as a team captain. So there are different things that have gone into him not naming a defensive coordinator. And, I, I mean, we'll see how it works, right? And, and you saw the Falcons last year. 
They struggled a bit, but once Dan Quinn said, hey, look, I'm not going to call the plays, and he put it off on, on uh, I want to say Jeff Obrick and, and Raheem Morris and, and allowed them to be co-coordinators, that's when things started to work for them. Yeah, and so kind of building on that, you, he's still going to be involved in, in all that. I'm really interested because you came from Philadelphia, and I'm going to tie this together. Bear with me. But, uh, so you have Doug Peterson and Frank Wright coming out of that that organization. They were really um, aggressive in their decision-making, and Vrabel kind of echoes yeah. that as well. How did they compare to him in how involved they were in all those, those details and everything? Because I sometimes wonder he, he's very much – trust his instincts, it seems. But sometimes it's like, hey, maybe just kick the field goal against the Falcons. Just ice the game kind of thing. And so um, yeah. how do they compare? Well, I'll say this. Doug Peterson wasn't as involved. Uh, you know, he's an offensive guy. He wasn't as involved on the defense as I've seen Rabel involved on the offense. But you got Jim Schwartz over there. Yeah. I get it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it is a bit of a difference. But I think, you know, the coaching staffs are very similar as far as the energy that they relay, the way the players relate to them and how they really like them, you know, and seeing the, the Titans staff is a bit different. I'll say, I'll say that just because you see those guys actually going on the field and taking part in the drills. I didn't see that with the exception of Mike Grow in, in Philly, but it's just it's the same type of situation where the drills and techniques that are being taught go right to the field and you see it happening. Um, so the staffs are similar there as far as the efficiency, uh, but it is, it, it is different in the dual roles of the head coach. So do you feel like you get more respect from Vrabel than other guys because you played? Uh, <laughs> Honest answers only. I, I, I don't think it's, it's it, indirectly it's because I played because – that allows me to ask some of the questions that I asked. Like you look yeah. at the presser before the, the Chiefs game, the AFC championship, I asked them about zero splits and how that impacts how the, the DBs are, are defending the releases. And he was like, what is this, an offensive guy? He, he, was, <laughs> you know, he made a joke. But I think those type of things definitely um, – sure. I'm not going to say he respects me any more than the next reporter – but I, I think we have a good relationship. I, I say it that way. Whereas, you know, it, it's very open. And, and I appreciate that about Coach Rabel. I would say my relationship with Coach Rabel is the best I've had as far as the, the coaches that I, I, you know, the teams that I've covered. John Harbaugh, I, I was really tight with, with Coach Harbaugh too. But I, I think, you know, the relationship with Rabel is, is, is the best I've, I've experienced. That's awesome. And you mentioned earlier about, about Vrabel being a football guy, your football guy. I love watching the highlights. Like you mentioned it, the stiff arm with Henry. I love watching him getting the big pads on and going one-on-one. And by the way, that was the first time I, I was okay about Jonu Smith was last year in the in the preseason, watching him go toe-to-toe with Vrabel and just throwing Vrabel down like a ragdoll and Vrabel was kind of giving him the business a little bit. I'm like, all right, Jonu's healthy. I'm good. I'm watching Vrabel get into it. And I got to say, I love I loved watching the press conference when, and, and again, this might have been not necessarily who the reporters were, but he had two back-to-back, uh, had to repeat himself questions you know from earlier in the press conference then he had to answer a, a clowny question and just the whole head down and then uh, when he got to his like you know Teron's on he's got a question that was up to AD. you can tell he kind of he kind of perked up a little because maybe i'm thinking 
I'm going to get a football question here instead of some of this other stuff. And you, and you didn't, and you lived up to it. So, I mean, maybe that's kind of where I, where that question Jonathan just asked came from. It's like, I wonder if he and Vrabel have a pretty good relationship just based on some of the interactions we've seen. So that's where, just to give you a background on where we were going with that. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. It's solid. You know, uh, coach Vrabel was, he, he, he's a really good, and I appreciate the way he approaches things. You know, as far as having that, that, insight or not insight but that desire to, to dig into your personal you know like i i have daughters and uh, my youngest one she met coach rabel in north nashville during the cleanup and he asked me about her you know on one on one of the pressers so that that type of thing it, it, it makes you like yo like the dude really is uh you know genuine and and he's he's real you know yeah i'm looking forward to the future of not just him with ties whatever he does i, I really like Mike Vrabel is a person, as a coach, and looking forward to that continued relationship in this city because he seems to have a lot of the intangibles you want. So we, we've picked your brain about a lot of stuff. We're, we want to wrap up now. We don't want to keep you all night. I think we could probably talk football forever, but and this has been great. Yeah. We want to finish up with just a couple rapid-fire questions. Whenever we're talking to someone, we want to just go through and just get a real quick answer. It doesn't have to go too in-depth. But uh, just to start off, what's it can be someone we mentioned, but what is, if you had to hammer a person, a sleeper pick for someone to watch from the Titans this year for fans, who would you pick from the Titans? Sleeper pick? Uh, oh, that's a good question. All right, we're going rapid fire. I, I shoot Khalif Raymond. Okay, perfect. Favorite coaching interaction story? Hmm. Of myself with this current coaching staff? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Thursday, the Thursday after the Ravens game, right? Uh, I'm in the locker room. I'm walking towards the door, and earlier in that period, we saw Dean Pease in the locker room. And I, I remember my man, Buck, I, I said, Buck, the heck is Coach Pease doing in the locker room? I've never seen him in here, right? So it's time to wrap up. I'm walking towards the door, and he stops me. And he says, you know, TD, I, I, I want to talk to you. And I was like, Coach, what I do? What's wrong? <laughs> and he said, man, you're too good at your job. That video that you did, and it goes back to what I said earlier about the Ravens, that video that you did on defending Lamar Jackson, you know, you gave me a heart attack because my son took that to me and and, and showed it to me, and by golly, we had just installed basically the same thing earlier that day. That was my probably my best interaction uh, with a coach ever That's as far as a writer. And that's a huge compliment, too. So just rapid fire, sorry, because I could dig into that a little bit. But just uh, that's your favorite coach story. What is your least favorite question you've ever heard a depressor, if anything comes to mind? You don't, you don't have to give names. If you, you don't, don't have, have to. Do not, yeah. Please don't feel free. <laughs> you can just uh, give subject heard, if you want to stay basic. I, I heard somebody ask why didn't they go for it on, like, 4th and 12th, something like that. <laughs> and and – uh, <laughs> I just saw Ray Blue. It was like, you know, the, one of those cartoons where the guy goes like this and the screen gets red. That was Coach Ray Blue at that point. I'd imagine there's some times where you got to uh, just just don't make a face. Don't make a face. Just wait for my question. <laughs> don't, don't show your cards. But here's the worst part. A lot of times he'll get a dumb question and he looks directly at me. <laughs> So you got to play a little so poker face. Just like, you know, like. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Last one here. Uh, if you ha- could make the national media take notice 
or take more into account regarding the Titans? What would be the one thing? Mm. I would say how good that secondary is, that DB duo. I think Kevin Byard and Kenny Vaccaro are as good as any safety tandem in the league. So I would say that. And shout out Ryan Clark because he 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 uh, when I talked to him about it, he acknowledged that. That's awesome. Yeah, that and that I, that's one thing I as I spoke earlier, I really want people to realize just how good the secondary really is. And so I'm glad you finished up with that. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate. it. I want to give you a chance though. We want to do this, everybody. Anything you want to shout out? Your Twitter handle? Anything you're working with? Anything you want to bring to attention? Yeah, for sure. At t davenport underscore nfl. Go to Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you get your podcasts on. The same ones you subscribe to this one, which you should be. You can subscribe to mine, too. Just look up Talking With TD. Definitely check that out. And if you guys could all, and girls, could all do me a favor and go to ESPN.com, click NFL, click Team Pages, and and then subscribe to the Titans page. Any information that I put out there on, on our app, our push notification, shortstop, and any articles I post, it goes there. But I need to get more subscribers, you know, because uh, Titans fans, you know, you guys are out there, and I definitely want to reach as many of you as possible. So I appreciate that. And what you guys are doing here with Broadway Sports, I'm not going to lie. When you guys came out that first day, I sat down and I said, you know what? Got your game up, you know what I mean? So you guys are doing a good job from that perspective. I definitely – you know, giving me that inspiration at that pole. Hey, look, man, get it together and do your thing. We appreciate it. We're, we're just trying to emulate you a little bit too. So we appreciate all the work you do. Everybody's <laughs> out there. Go out, subscribe to both of our podcasts. Not for nothing, rate them a five-star review. Wouldn't kill you. It's great content. Go to ESPN. Subscribe to on there. A lot of good content can come out this season. So, man, we really appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you on during the season, maybe break down some specific plays that work for the Titans, go through some coaching decisions. I'd love to have that if we could get you on because you're, you're a joy to talk to about this football stuff, man. Yeah, for sure. I got you. Let me know. All right, we appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, that's going to do it for this special edition of Coach's Corner. Thanks once again for Tron Davenport for coming on and talking shop with us. Make sure you go out and follow him at tdavenport underscore NFL. Navigate on over to ESPN, subscribe so you don't miss any of his great content coming out for the Titans. Speaking of great content, you can get more great podcasts at Broadway TN. We have lots of other podcasts involved in our network here. Make sure you check out our Twitter at Coaches on Broad, Ryan at Ryan on Broad, and at JB on Broad. Until next time. We out. See ya.